If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wendell Jones. And I'm Vosh Bodhi. And tonight, we'll look back at a protest that occurred 50 years ago this week, when ordinary people, fed up with police harassment at the Black Cat Tavern in Silver Lake, took to the streets two full years before the better-known protests at Stonewall. Pretty much the entire show tonight is Abby D's in conversation with Alexei Romanov, Yay. an organizer and the last <laughs> living witness to the seminal historic event. Oh, Vosh, it's the most magical time of the year. It's Pledge Drive. That's right. And tonight's show is sponsored by the Eleanor Lloyd D's Foundation, who has agreed to match every pledge up to $500 per pledge made during this show, IMRU Radio, tonight between 7 and 8. So if you're wondering how to maximize your support for KPFK, for IMRU, for equality, this is your answer. And this is where you get to show your love with cash. All you have to do is call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735 and pledge. And I'm going to take, suggest, the snowflake approach. If you just want to pledge five bucks, pledge five bucks. It'll be double to ten enough if you do it. We'll have a mass of pledges. You don't have to pledge 100. You don't have to pledge 50. If you want to, though, you can pledge 75. And we have the Wolf DVD 3-pack, which is Hurricane Bianca, Henry Gamble's Birthday Party, and Girls Lost. If you know those movies, you've loved these movies. Uh, There are many other options. Please ask the phone operator for other options. That's right, because it's really not even about the gifts, although there are amazing gifts that we're giving away. There are. With pledges. Yeah. The main thing is to support... KPFK. Because we are becoming almost the only game in town. (laughs) You know how important it is to have a vital voice out there that isn't supported or drowned by corporate money and corporate overlords. And we're kind of it, and especially in the gay community. That's right. I want to read a statement from the Eleanor Lloyd Dees Foundation, who's matching pledges this evening. In this time when stories of struggle and triumph are being called fake news, we need shows like IMRU more than ever to tell the truth about the LGBT community. Keeping the important voices that we only hear on IMRU and KPFK heard week after week. That responsibility, that responsibility belongs to all of us. So pick up the phone, call 818-985-5735 and make your love pledge now. That's right. Now, two days ago on Saturday, February 11th, more than 500 people gathered outside of the Black Cat Tavern in Silver Lake to mark the milestone anniversary of a protest that took place at the same spot exactly 50 years earlier. 
And when one of the organizers of the original 1967 protest and the last living witness, 80-year-old Alexei Romanov, spoke to the crowd as he had a half a century ago, the years just simply fell away. Hey, this reminds me of something. <laughs> you know, I didn't organize tonight's event, but I did organize another event 50 years ago on this night. What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Now! What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Now! The spirit is still here. And I'm depending on all of you to go on and carry this forward. Because tonight, a police officer came over, shook my hand, and said, thank you. There are people who will support us and people who will go against us. But we have to do is stay united. And let me hear you. I can't hear you. I still can't hear you. Thank you. It's nice to be acknowledged, but I didn't do it to be acknowledged. What I did it for was my own freedom and your freedom and the people I learned from as a young person are still here in spirit because you're carrying their spirit. Let me hear you. I hope to be here for the 75th. And that was our Steve Pride out in the field getting sound. And he said it was just an amazing experience because the police, instead of beating up the patrons at the Black Cat, were getting along, having a good time. The mayor was there. Uh, he met Francis Fisher there. Wow. So a good time was had by all at the rally. So thank you for that, Steve Pride. Now, recently, our own Abby D sat down with Alexei Romanov for a chat at his home in Pasadena. Before Stonewall, LGBT people were indeed fighting for their rights. And on February 11, 1967, at the Black Cat Tavern in Silver Lake, a gay-friendly neighborhood in Los Angeles, Alexei Romanov helped organize the first large gay rights protest on record but you could say that this story begins almost three decades earlier in New York City. My name is Alexei Boris Romanov, and you know the Bryant Park in New York? That used to be a gay hangout way back then. My mother was in show business, and there was a group of about nine of us, and we were kids. I was 14. I think it went up to about 15 and down to about nine years or 10 years old. We would hang out in Bryant Park, and we called ourselves the Trunkers because we were born in a trunk, theater term. So we called ourselves the Trunkers. And there was a man, to this day I don't know his name, but he changed my life. I called him Mother Brian. We all called him Mother Brian because that was kind of a term of endearment for a gay man. He was 86 at that time. He would come and tell us what it was like when he was 18 years old in 1890 to be a gay man, 
he would talk to us, and then he would go for one meal whenever he came over down to Horn and Hart's Automat down on 42nd Street. And he would sit there and talk to us and tell us about things. And one day there was about six of us sitting there with him. We would have a Coke or a soda. And he said, he says, when you're my age and ready to leave this earth, if you haven't left your community in a better place than you found it, and the world as a whole, you haven't lived. And it, it just touched my heart. It absolutely touched my heart. Now, all of us didn't get what he was saying. And I looked at him. It said something to me that if we don't have our rights and if we don't do something about it, we haven't lived. So that has been a key to what changed my life at 14, Mother Brian. And to this day, I don't know his name, but I love him. I would like you to tell me a story of the early hours of the morning, January 1st, 1967. Okay. It was New Year's Eve. I have to preface this with the fact that there had been somewhat of a police truce for the past two years. Reagan had taken office that night, New Year's Eve, as governor of California. Seems that the truce had broken between the police, and they raided... I think it was four bars that night. One of the bars was the New Faces. Another bar, I believe, was the Ram's Head Inn. And another bar was the Little Cave and then the Black Cat. The two most important ones are the Black Cat and the New Faces because that raid was very violent. I was part owner in the New Faces, but... I had already sold my share to my partner about five months before. I helped open the bar up. I was working at another bar called The High Spot. And Leroy, which is a woman, uh, was my partner, the owner. Now, no bars had windows to the open because we had to be closeted and we had to block off the general public from looking in. Nothing tawdry was going on in those bars. And if it was, it wasn't by choice or anything. It just happened. Those bars were about getting together with your own community and people you cared about and knew. So at midnight, they played Old Anxiety at the Black Cat. Everybody was there enjoying themselves. And all of a sudden, the police raided the place. They were in there in plain clothes. They were grabbing people. Nobody knew who they were yet. There was no fighting, but the police were beating people in there, beating them down. And the charges that came out of that was lewd conduct, meaning that they had kissed on New Year's Eve for, a, I forget how many seconds, longer than was permissible by law. Half a minute or something like that. But anyway... Two people were just coming into the bar as they were beating some of the people. They didn't know what was going on. They ran back out the door. So they ran from the black cat to the new faces because the new faces are on the same side of the street as the black cat, thinking that there was some sanctuary in there with the police behind them. They chased after them. When they went inside, 
They had said, who's the manager or the owner here? Well, it's New Year's Eve, and Leroy had her gown on. But when they heard the name Leroy, they heard a man's name, Leroy, not L-E-E, last name R-O-Y. And they saw this, what they thought was a cross-dresser in there in a gown, and they grabbed her, and they started beating her, and they broke her collarbone. The bartender tried to come across the bar to save his boss because he didn't know what was going on, and they ruptured his spleen. They beat him so bad. Was anybody fighting back? I'm sure people were struggling, but they were trying to get to safety. It wasn't a violent community. The gay community at the time, and still, is a fairly law-abiding community. Especially, I would imagine, on New Year's Eve, people are in a good mood. They're in a good place. Old Anxi just finished playing. People were hugging and kissing. They weren't lewd conduct. What we started doing was we didn't have computers, we didn't have cell phones, but we had phones. And we had a thing that we called a phone tree. That's where I would call 10 people, and they would call another 10 people, and those 10 people would call 20 people, and it would spread like that. That's how we got word through the community. It may sound like we were very organized, but we weren't. What was motivating you? Because this wasn't the first time that you would experience a police raid or harassment, and certainly it was nothing new to the community. Why this time? Maybe the amount of injury that happened, all the people that ended up in hospitals, that was uncalled for because they didn't fight back. They just grabbed people, just like Leroy. I mean, she was an older woman at that time, but they thought she was Leroy, the man, in a gown, and that's all they needed. And that was a violation of law if she had been a cross-dresser. Yes. Two friends of mine were in the high spot one day, And one of them was standing over his partner. They lived together, and they were talking and laughing with friends. He happened to tip his glass of beer, and some spilled on his partner's chest. So instinctively, he took his hand, and he brushed the beer off. They were arrested for lewd conduct. And I went to court as moral support for them. In those days, if you were arrested for lewd conduct, there were two charges you could be charged with. There was a major charge, and I think it was 640-something, and then A, and then there was a lesser charge, which was 640-something B. What they were hoping for, that you would plead guilty to 647B because it was a lesser charge and you wouldn't have to register as a sex offender for the rest of your life. So they would plead guilty to the lesser offense, pay a fine, and get out of there as the best they could. And my my friends who had gotten arrested even admitted that they were gay. They said, but if we were going to be doing anything lewd, as the law claimed, We would do it in our home. We lived together. They still lost, and they ended up pleading guilty to the lesser charge. So this was the environment that you were in. You started the phone tree, and then what happened? The phone tree started working, and it took us to February 11th, 
1967 to have the demonstration. We got a demonstration together. There was a bar in Hollywood that was the only place that would allow us to meet, but we had to meet while they were closed. Was the phone tree saying, okay, we're going to have a meeting, we're trying to get people together? Did you know what you were going to do? with? No, we got together in order to discuss what we would do. Because you have to understand, we were terrified because if we were exposed and in the newspapers or anything, we would lose our jobs, we would lose our income, we would lose our homes, and our families would alienate us because of embarrassment. Because a lot of people came from other places to be anonymous. That's why the big cities attracted the gay people. Mother Brian told me in 1890, the police didn't want to put you in jail, but they would come and beat you up with their billy clubs if they knew you were gay every day until you moved out of their city. Get you out of here. Anywhere else but here. So how many people showed up to just discuss what was going to happen? About 30 35 people. And it was brought up that three months earlier on the Sunset Strip, there had been an anti-war demonstration and the people were attacked by the sheriff's department and they were beat so bad. And these are heterosexuals just protesting the war. Our rights that are given to us by our Constitution, they got beat up for airing those rights. So you can imagine how we felt they wouldn't give a darn if we really got injured. Given the tone of the times that you're describing, that's... That's a lot, yeah. That wasn't what showed up at the demonstration. At the demonstration, there were 500 to 600 gay men and women and people who supported them demonstrating out there. The largest demonstration for gay rights in the world, and the first large demonstration. There was the Manishan Society. They fought the post office and won their case because the post office wouldn't deliver a brown manila envelope with their club-related things. It was anything but lewd. Yeah. Just in the planning of this, were people saying, oh, gosh, no, we shouldn't do that. We should... I mean, mean, what was the nature of the discussion? There were people there at the meeting who were saying, if we just keep quiet, they'll leave us alone. If we don't make problems for them, they'll leave us alone. Well, we practiced that for years, and that didn't do us any damn good. Some left because they didn't agree with it. And those of us who were still there, we knew we had to do something. Silent no more. So what did you do? We organized the demonstration because that's the way to get our words out. And that's the way to let our neighbors and our community in Silver Lake know that we are just people. This is Abby Dees, and I'm talking with Alexei Romanov about the Black Cat Tavern protest for gay rights in 1967 two years before the Stonewall Inn riots. Wow. I am still looking forward to hearing the rest of this interview. That's Abby Dees talking to Alexei Romanov. I know. What an astonishing story and what what a completely different time, which I'm embarrassed to say I do remember 50 years ago. I was a child, but it's not like this is ancient, ancient history. And to think he was there. And the thing is, hearing him speak, it's as if it's happening today. I mean, there's so many overlaps in terms of like, you know, the black community and the police and the gay community still fighting for rights. And it's nice to hear 
that people are still saying right. we have to get together, right. come together, and organize. Well, and, and this story has certainly gotten coverage. I saw it in the paper. I saw it in the news. But you're not getting let's call it an insider's perspective, except for someplace like IMRU. And if you don't if you don't pledge us a little money, we might not be here forever. So please pick up the phone and call 818-985-5735 and pledge something, anything, because whatever you pledge up to $500 will be doubled by the Eleanor Lloyd Deese Foundation, but only during the hour of this show. So pick up the phone, 818-985-5735. For $75, you can get the Wolf DVD three-pack. Again, that's Hurricane Bianca, Henry Gamble's birthday party, and Girls Lost. There's a lot of other varieties. You can ask the phone operator for any of the other fine gifts offered by KPFK. That's right. One of the things I'm taking away from the first part of this interview is the need and the desire to leave the planet better. I know. I wish Mother Brian were famous because <laughs> well, we need more people like that. And we need to spread that word that it's time to come together, create community, and help spread this type of information. Right, right. And there should be a social contract to leave the world a better place, as I believe there is in some parts of the world, but not necessarily this one. Anyway... Pick up the phone, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735, which cleverly, should you forget, spells KPFK. And pledge, 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 anything up to $500 will be doubled. And now back to Abby's conversation with Alexei Romanov. When the police raided the Black Cat Tavern and the New Faces Bar on New Year's Eve 1966, it was nothing new to the gay community in Silver Lake, California. But what was new was how that community decided to respond in a large, organized, public protest on February 11, 1967. One of those organizers was Alexei Romanov, who spoke with me 50 years later about that historic day. So how did you get from 30, 35 people meeting in a closed bar in Hollywood to five, 600 people protesting? Word of mouth, people being sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired of being treated the way they were being treated. So what did you decide on? Did you say we're going to stand outside with signs? First of all, you couldn't stand in one place. You have to move. Otherwise, you can be arrested for loitering. We had people who were giving us information about the legality of different things. We produced flyers that we passed out besides the signs. We didn't chant much. We did a little, but we mainly paraded around, and any one of our flyers that were handed out, if we saw it was dropped, we ran over and picked it up. What did the flyers say, do you recall? It told why we were there, the story. And February 11th? We showed up. I had already moved to Santa Monica at that time. So coming in with a group of my friends in the car, and I think there was two or three cars. So we were strangely quiet, very quiet. We were actually intimidated because we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, we didn't know. I'm sure the black activists felt the same thing in Selma and in other places. And you had been seeing this very much in the media at the time. Yes, absolutely. Dogs, police batons, things like that. There wasn't like 
fluttery or anything. The gravity of it seemed to be clear. Yeah, because that out of that did come that we no longer were starting to say, just leave us alone. Just let us live our own lives. We won't bother you. What we were saying then, our Constitution guarantees us the right to be free people. And that's the first time that was ever said and was never said before that. Now, the Manishan Society did say that we had the right to keep our jobs in the government because that was during the McCarthy era. Yeah. But if you were in the Manishan Society, when you went to demonstrate, you had to wear a suit. And if you were a lesbian, you had to wear a dress or a skirt. Did you prepare yourself? Did you have kind of a, a strategy for things getting heated? Some of us had some training with the anti-war demonstrations about drop, cover your head, cover your vital areas, roll up into kind of a ball to protect yourself. Now, at that demonstration, there were supposed to be other demonstrations that we had arranged. We contacted other groups. We contacted a Latino group. We contacted a black group. We contacted the anti-war demonstrations. This is before the demonstration. On that same day, we had the thought that if we could have a number of demonstrations going on in the city, that the police would be so pulled apart that they couldn't do that much damage to any one of us because their forces were so distributed out. Did they respond positively? Then? They did. They were supposed to have it. But the Latino and the black community didn't come off that day. But the anti-war group had a demonstration way larger than us over on Sunset Boulevard on the exact same day on that strip. And I think they had about uh, 3,000. I want to pause for a moment because you reached out to leaders of these various resistance movements and even though some of them didn't actually organize protests that day, it sounds like they were receptive to what you were doing. No, they were divisive in their own community. It didn't involve us. Mm -hmm. We reached out to leaders, and there were those who were saying, we don't want to be connected with those people. And evidently, either they couldn't get enough people to back what they were doing, or they just didn't want to do it. But they were going to. We had a promise they would do it, and they didn't come through. And that's not a bad thing, and it's not a good thing. It's the fear. It's a human situation. The stakes were so high for everybody. And you got to understand, we had a mental illness in those days, and we could be committed by our own families. They could just not like what we were doing, and they could put us in a sanitarium. For many, many years. So on that day, you've scheduled this. Presumably, you used the phone tree system again to get people to come out. Yeah. The day happens. Everybody's gotten word. Did everyone just show up and pick up a sign and start walking around? What happened? People were excited. They were fearful because the first time they're really being heard. Was there news there? The only people who covered... That demonstration and most of the pictures from that demonstration that you see were done by the free press. They were the only ones that showed up. Did you let the media know ahead of time? Oh, they knew very well what was going to happen. Very well. They didn't want to cover it. Why do you think that they didn't want to cover it? 
probably for the same thing that racism happens. If you're considered the lowest of the low, why should we cover it? How long did it last? To the evening. And how were the police? Very orderly, because they were being photographed. And we see the importance of that to this year. Yes, yes. Witnessing abuses of power is a powerful force to stop abuses of power. Yes, yeah. I'm all in favor of cameras. Were there just neighborhood people's local businesses involved watching? What kind of feedback did you get in the moment? Some people were annoyed. They couldn't walk down the street. It was so crowded. We had to keep moving. There was a laundromat next to the black cat that was in there. And there was a parking lot alongside that. And the line went around and around and down the streets, up the streets, all around. When I was with the police chief downtown, I pointed to the pictures because Roots of Equality had large blow-ups of the pictures of people carrying the signs. And I said, do you see anybody smiling? Any one of them? Not one. Because they were scared. But silence no more. So who was there? Who were the protesters? What kinds of people? People like me, everyday people. Going to common jobs, doing common work, doing important work. Men, women? Men, women, like I said, 500 to 600 gay men, gay women, lesbians, and those who support us. So you had allies? Sure we did. Even some people from the other communities. And were there people of color, different ages? There were some. There wasn't that much then. I could see the risks would be even higher. Why do you think we don't hear much about this? Other things that were happening around the time was the next year, the patch on PCH had a protest in 1966 in San Francisco. Compton's Cafeteria, there was a protest. We tend to think everything started with Stonewall, but it didn't. Why do you think we don't know about this? The difference was there were demonstrations And somehow a riot makes more news. And Stonewall was a riot. It wasn't a peaceful, organized demonstration. Those people were fed up. They had taken enough, and they weren't going to take any more. And it took some very brave, as we used to call them, which was derogatory in a way, drag queens. It took them to say, We're not going to take this anymore. And that was the riot that happened then. They turned the tables. It was an important thing. I never want to lessen the importance of Stonewall. But all of these steps, including the Manishan Society, are important because they were all footholds. You know, today they talk about on your shoulders. Well, it's in your steps. Do you think that this kind of buildup of we're not going to take it anymore, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, like you said, that started happening around this time. Do you think that it was sort of spurred on by what was also happening around the anti-war movement and the civil rights movement? Absolutely, because everybody was, they were realizing that somehow the laws were illegitimate, that they weren't right from a moral standpoint. Laws are laws that states and the government makes, but they're not always right, like like a woman's right to choose. It's her right to choose. You know, you can hate me all you want, but it stops at the edge of my nose. 
That's civil rights in a nutshell. Darn right. After the protests, what did you think you'd accomplish? I mean, were you aware how big this was? I didn't realize how big this was. What I did realize and was hoping for that we would accomplish something, that it wasn't just done and nothing came out of it, because that had happened before. I think afterwards, yes. When you were protesting that night, were you thinking of Mother Bryant? Yes. And uh, the funny part was I wasn't thinking about Mother Bryant in the terms you would be proud of me. I was thinking that I'm so proud to have met you in my teen years to shape my life. I mean, that was the most important person in my life. Usually your parents are the most important person. Well, I had a single mother. Mother Bryant was my adopted father. I just loved that man because he made so much sense. And you know, I'm 80 years old now. And he seemed so old to me back then, where he doesn't seem that old to me now, because there's only six years difference between him and me at that time and now. And But there were people like that in our community. There were people who reached out to us kids. And I think there are people who do that now. Three years ago, I was on the Founders Float at CSW, the Pride Parade. And after that, I got to stand up on the main stage and I looked down and there had to be a thousand young faces looking back up at me. The first thing I said to them when I was speaking to them was, hello, family. Because you know, we have our family of blood, but we have our family of choice. And sometimes our family of choice are more gratifying to our needs. And I looked at all of these young people and I thought to myself, what can I say? Well, first of all, I let them know I care about them. Second of all, I told them, nobody has ever given us anything we haven't had to fight for. And if you don't use it, you lose it. And seeing those kids and those people go crazy down there, clapping and yelling. I realized I had touched maybe a thousand people that afternoon, and I'm proud of that. This is Abby Dees, and I'm talking with Alexei Romanov about the Black Cat Tavern protest for gay rights in 1967, two years before the Stonewall Inn riots. You're listening to KPFK. The time is 736 and, and it's time to pitch again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the, I, I'm trying to take something away from every one of these mm-hmm. segments. And what I'm taking away from this segment is to be silent no more. Right. So in this Pledge Drive show, I'm asking each and every one of you who is listening to let your voice be heard in support of the truth. Because freedom is not free, nor is radio. So in this Pledge Drive show... Mm-hmm where every pledge up to $500 per pledge is being matched by the Eleanor Lloyd Dees Foundation. We're asking you to please call in. The telephone number is 818-985-5735. And we have had many, many pledges to date. One, we have one from Patrick Gill, who is my college roommate who lives in the Hudson River Valley in New York. And he managed to call in and pledge. So 
Don't Let Distance Stop You. We've got uh, Rick Watts, friend of IMRU. We've got Stephen, Don Carson, Cecile, Catherine, and a few anonymous pledges. I'm looking for Mike Harvey. You know you're out there. Pledging support for KPFK is not just local. No. We're having people calling in from New York. That exactly. means that this message, our message, the support of the people, the truth is being heard all over the world. So your dollars, not only are they being matched by the Illinois Lloyd Dees Foundation, but they're actually helping to spread KPFK around the world. Right. And because your your pledge will be doubled up to $500, no amount is too small. Really, $5 is fine. Five turns into 10. These 10s add up. We've got... We've got some funding, and that's what we need because, you know, the power company doesn't provide the electricity for free. No, they do not. That tower is very expensive. It's a big, huge, powerful tower, and it costs stuff to maintain that. So, Be part of our family. Yes. Choose to support KPFK. Join our family. Be like Mother Brian. Think of others. So call 818-985-5735. And now the conclusion of Abby's conversation with Alexei Romanov. The first thing you notice when you meet Alexei Romanov are his piercing light blue eyes, only fitting for a man who's dedicated his life to being a witness in the fight for human equality. From helping organize the first mass LGBT rights protest at the Black Cat Tavern in 1967, to fighting California's Proposition 8, Alexei has been there. Now. Lest you think that the idea of a vibrant LGBT community began with protests and parades, Alexei will tell you otherwise. Born in 1936, he grew up in New York, but after losing his lover to cancer, he decided it was time for a change. And, on the suggestion of a friend, he began his new life in a gay-friendly Los Angeles neighborhood called Silver Lake. He says, yeah, there's a very large gay community there and it's comfortable living, and the prices are not exceptionally high. It was reasonable. I mean, $85 a month was a, your rent at those days, sometimes 60 We made communities. West Hollywood was not a city yet. It was Boys Town at that time. That's how it was referred to. There were restaurants around the carriage trade over on Melrose. Oh, Palamo's uh, Grill that was right next to the Hollywood Freeway, Hollywood Boulevard. And those were gay places, and they usually were late at night. How did you find out about these places? Would you just walk around, or was it just a look in the eye? It was a look in the... Well, I had moved from the place up in the hill over to Griffith Park Boulevard. we just moved in, and I'm walking down the street, I believe from Sunset Boulevard over to where I was living, and all of a sudden, a little sports car, a powder blue T-Bird, one of the little ones with the removable top and all of that, pulls up along there, and it was a very nice-looking young man there. And what I found out after talking to him, he was Mr. California in the, the weightlifting tradition and so on and so forth, and he stopped and he said, are you looking for some place? I looked at him and I says, I think I found it. <laughs> and he says, you look like you're a little lost. I says, well, I'm new, new in California and I'm new in Silver Lake and I'm trying to get my bearings where everything is. And he turns around and he says, why don't I meet you this weekend? I'll give you my phone number and I'll take you around and show you some of the places. And that got me started. 
So you were involved in the opening of New Faces. Opening. I worked at the High Spot, which is on Hyperion Boulevard. Do you know where Casita del Campo is? Mm-hmm. Well, it was across the street from that, a little up the block. And there was a gay veterinarian there, and his lover, as we used to call them, because there were no husbands, his lover ran the front office, and he was the veterinarian in the back. And we knew we could go to him. We knew the stores. We knew people where we would shop and see, it's a community. So the New Faces before was a bar called Patty's Bar. Patty's Pub. Was it a gay bar? No, it was a completely straight bar. That's why we had to end up closing for 90 days. And they would be knocking at the door and we would tell them, you're welcome to come back, but it's under new management and new clientele, and you may not be particularly happy with the clientele that's here. Did they ask follow-up questions? Some did. Others went, oh, and walked away, you know. So did you just use word of mouth? You didn't have to do advertisement. It just went through the community. Oh, I found this new place. Uh, We had shuffleboard table there, and we had a pool table on one end, and then we had a regular bar. We had a jukebox. There were no DJs in those days. And it was a steady clientele of people we knew. We called our patrons by name when they came in. They knew our name, at least 90% of them. Who was your clientele? The same people that were at the protest, just everyday people? Everyday people. Now, there were distinctive different types of gays. There was the motorcycle leather community. Not quite as much as came later in the 70s, but there was uh, what they would call dance bars. There would be places like that. But it was a little segmented. There was a country western. Oil Can Harry's on Ventura Boulevard had been there, still is open, had been there for ages. When I got here, they were open. I think they've been open 60 years or something like that. There was a whole lot of things on La Cienega Boulevard. Did you all know one another? Absolutely. We knew that the carriage trade was a gay place, but you could go there and get a really nice dinner. You know, another interesting thing, there was a place out in uh, Laurel Canyon, and it was called the Canyon Club, which allowed same-sex dancing. And it was a little resort that you didn't stay there, but it it had a huge dance floor. And it was a membership only. You bought a membership. There was a pool there. It was a restaurant earlier in the evening, and then it turned into a, a bar and dance floor. And that was men and women. So women always were able to dance together, but men weren't allowed to dance together. So it had a jukebox at one end of the floor, and it had another jukebox at the other end of the floor. And you knew that if it was couples dancing of two men and two women, you know, with each other, if that jukebox went off and that one went on, you knew to switch partners. So we all would switch partners. So I'd be dancing with a lesbian, and the lesbian would be dancing with another gay man. That told them that the either the ABC board or the sheriff's department, because that was county, had come into the place to survey what's going on. So they would come in, and we're just dancing in couples, man and woman. And then the minute they left, that other jukebox went on, and we were switching there. Now, there was a bar in New York that had a dance floor. So what would happen was there would be a doorman. There was a, a television hanging up on the corner of the room 
Now, if that TV went on and the jukebox went off, you knew to stop dancing. That meant the doorman was signaling you that the police or undercover police officers were coming into the bar. So we're all standing there. But the thing is, in those days, TVs needed to warm up. So it was nothing but lines. And here's a whole dance floors full of people looking up at this TV with nothing but vertical and horizontal lines running down on it. So the cops who had come in would look, and they'd look up, and they'd shake their heads, and they'd leave. Did you have a system? Our jukebox would blink on and off if somebody came in suspicious, you know. See, that's what our community was. And it makes me wonder, as you're talking, about this idea that I've heard so much before the time that I came out, that until HIV, gay men and women lived very separate lives. There wasn't a lot of interaction. And yet I hear the stories like yours. No, that's not really true. It wasn't huge, but a lot of us had lesbian You know, we had to go to things, too. We were in it together. Yeah, and we understood each other. And lesbians, even at that time, it wasn't until standing up women's lib and that sort of thing that we started calling ourselves, there was gay girls and gay boys prior to that. That was the terminology we used. And you know, the lingo we had was so that we could sit in a restaurant and talk to each other, and nobody knew what we were talking about. We would be in the restaurant And say a very good-looking young man would come in, would say, hmm, look at that box or look at that basket, (laughs) which meant the butt or the the front and or or, isn't she gay, (laughs) you know? The biggest mistake we made was saying he's gay, she's gay, he's straight, she's straight. Straight gave the connotation that there was something wrong with being gay. And that might have been the psyche at that time. Because I know straight also meant that you were straight-laced. Yeah, but that was different than that. Straight meant you weren't kinky, you weren't bent. We also had a term kai-kai at the time, which didn't live through. And kai-kai meant you were bisexual. Well, I love gay lingo. The only one I object to is the fact that the heterosexual community was called he's straight. And that gave a feeling that somehow being gay or lesbian wasn't right. Can you quickly give me a highlight reel of some of your accomplishments as an activist? I started an organization called Gay Pride West, Santa Monica Bay Coalition for Human Rights to fight the Briggs Initiative and Anita Bryan. The wonderful thing about the Anita Bryan thing was that just that year, Nielsen, the people that do the surveying of TV programs and things. I was living in Santa Monica with a partner, and they wanted a two-male household at that time. They came in, they put the PBX or whatever it is there attached to my television. So every time Anita Bryant came on with one of her commercials, I changed the channel. They said I represented four million people. And we started to boycott the Orange Juice Commission, the Florida Orange Juice. Not all orange juice, Florida Orange Juice. What else? HIV? Yeah, that. I also worked as a man in white at the quilt. Mm -hmm. That meant I held a box of Kleenex, and I went over if I saw a family member looking at the quilt of their person, and they looked distressed. I didn't impose, but I walked up, and I would give them a hug. 
and I would tell them, it's okay. I understand that I've lost somebody too. I appeared, spoke, straight groups, gay groups, mixed groups. During Proposition 8, I was above the uh, 210 freeway up here on Lake Avenue, and I had a big banner. A black man walked up to me and he looked at it. He says, give me one reason why I should vote against Proposition 8. And I stopped and I thought for a moment, and I says, because 40-something years ago, I marched for your rights. And it's 40-something years later, don't you think I ought to have all of my human rights? And he stopped for a minute and he looked at me. He says, you have my vote against Proposition 8. And he says, and anybody I can talk to, we're all the same. I've had a great deal of love in my life. And I've loved a great deal in my life and sincere love. And I want to know people who are younger or even my age that there's still more to life until you take your last breath. Don't give up. Don't stop. Make sure things end up equal to everything else in the world. When one person in a world doesn't have all of their rights, whatever country they're in, all of us don't have all of our rights. Alexi, what are you doing now? Telling my story so that somebody else can be a witness. Because when I'm no longer here to tell my story, I want it to go on, and not because of me, because of what has to be done. There's so much left to do on this earth, and we have a good planet. We're worried more about going to another planet than we are to saving this one. But I want to continue doing what I've done throughout my life. I want to be an activist. I want to tell the story because I have a saying. If I'm a witness to something and I tell you, then you become a witness to that. What I'm getting from talking to you is this idea that activism does not always mean that you're down marching in a parade and waving a flag or a sign. It's showing up. And younger people, if you hear this, show up. Show up. Show up. And Alexi means it. He's been to every single Los Angeles Pride celebration since it began in 1970. Look for him there next time you go. Alexei Romanov lives with his husband David Farah in Pasadena, overlooking Los Angeles, the city he has loved and fought for since the day he first arrived in 1957. This is Abby Dees for IMRU Radio. There's something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down What an amazing conversation I know Between Abby Dees and Alexei Romanov And what a special, astonishing person And I can't believe I've never heard of him until now He's pretty much changed my world. He's let me know that every person can make a difference. Well, and he had such a clarity of vision and so much bravery. At a time when... It must have been terrifying. 
Well, he said everyone was terrified yeah. uh, that night of the protest. But sometimes yeah. when you are the most scared right. is when you are the most brave. Right. Yeah, because it's working through that fear is, is what makes you brave. And being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And if you want to hear more stories like this, you're going to have to pledge because it's money that keeps this show going. So call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. Any pledge you make up to $500 will be matched by the Eleanor Lloyd Deese Foundation. So if you got a spare 500 sitting around, by all means, share the love with us. And we have read the information from the Eleanor Lloyd Dees Foundation. And not only are pledges made during the show going to be matched, but they have also said that any pledge that is made where you tell... Tell the, the operator. Tell the operator that it is for the matching pledge for the IMRU show, they will continue to match. So if you can't call in right now, Call in later. Make sure you tell the operators that this is for the pledge match for the IMRU show. If you're going online at kpfk.org to make your pledge, make sure that you put somewhere in the memo notes that it is for the IMRU matching pledge drive sponsored by the Eleanor Lloyd Dees Foundation. And you can call and make a pledge of $5, make a pledge of $10. If you want to get up into the larger amounts, then you can start romping in the land of pledge drive gifts. And now we have one specific to this show, which is the Wolf DVD 3-pack. That is three fine films, Hurricane Bianca, starring Bianca, Henry Gamble's Birthday Party, and Girls Lost. And they're supposed to be amazing movies. Now, I have seen Hurricane Bianca, which stars Bianca Del Rio. Bianca Del Rio. I knew there was more to the name of that. Yes, indeed. She was the uh, winner of RuPaul's Drag Race season, Mm -hmm. what, seven or eight? I've never seen one. (laughs) I know. I'm a bad gay. Wow. I know. I feel terrible about that. Well, you can make up for it by making a pledge of $75 and get this three-pack, and you can watch it at home on your own. And we haven't mentioned it, but KPFK has a marvelous thing called the Film Club. And ask the operator about that. I think it's usually around $100, $125. But it gives you access to so many films throughout the year where you call in, they give you free tickets. And it's quite an astonishing thing. If you like to go out to the movies, it's, it's a deal. Yes, it is. But we don't have the details in front of us, so you'll have to ask the operator about that. Yes, indeed. Because, you know, if you're not out protesting and and changing the planet, might as well go and see a movie. Exactly. (laughs) Well, sometimes you just need a quiet place to rest. Or if you want to watch a movie at home, just say you want the Wolf DVD 3-pack. And you can have that for $75. And the phone number is 818-985-5735. Again, that's 818 985 5735. As Alexi said, there's so much more to do on the planet, and we're asking you to help us here at KPFK do exactly that by calling in and making a pledge at 818 985 5735. And I wish we could, we could take these pledges and start the, the Mother Brian Foundation. I just love the image of that man helping little lost boys. Well, that doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> and yet, taking it, confused young gay men and saying, "Here, here, honey, make well, the world a better place." It takes a village. It does. To, you know, it really does take a village, and it's important to join a village. And like we keep asking you, join the KPFK village. If you call in at eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five, your pledges will be matched up to five hundred dollars. And if you go online, and that's an option, kpfk.org. Make sure that somewhere in the memo section of your pledge that you put that it is for IMRU, 
uh, the pledge matching. Well, we've had a lovely time pitching, but I think that concludes the pitch portion, and that is it for tonight. Oh. I know. It's the best time of the year. (laughs) Well, our thanks to tonight's IMRU executive producer, Steve Pride, our director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, our fantastic board op, Federico Garcia, everyone who pledged their support tonight, and, of course, the Eleanor Lloyd Dees Foundation for their generous, generous support. And since there is absolutely nothing Abby Dees does not do well, we'll close with her rendition of our Fun Drive anthem, Money. Good night. Good night, everyone. Thank you. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I need money. That's what I want. That's what I want.